The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. My prayer is that you will be strengthened by these readings. The insight in which Mr. Rushduni had is significant, not only then, but in today's day as well. But in no way should it replace your own studies in the Scriptures. And I do pray that you will take what you learn and apply it to every area of your life and thought. Titanism, Chalcedon Position Paper, number 75. Not all errors and heresies are clearly labeled as such. Some pass as virtues. Titanism is one of them. The name Titanism comes from Greek religion. The Greek gods were deified men. For example, More than a few cities boasted of their association with Zeus before his death, when he took his place as a spirit god in the upper world. The twelve titans, six males and six females, were the sons and daughters of Uranus and Gaia. The titans, led by Cronus, deposed their father and ruled the universe. The titans were later deposed by Zeus and condemned to Tartarus. Some of the descendants of the Titans have familiar names, Prometheus, Atlas, Hecate, Selene, and Helios. Especially with the Romantic movement, the Titans and their children came to symbolize man's heroic efforts against fate and the gods. Shelley, who said he had, quote, a passion for reforming the world, unquote, turned to Prometheus as hero. His, quote, Prometheus Unbound, unquote, is full of idealistic bombast against the heavens and glorifies attempts to storm the heavens and defy fate. Titanism thus means glorifying as a virtue all attempts to do the impossible. Titanism has many faces in the modern world, 
within the church, in humanistic circles, and among revolutionary youth. It is a continuing source of, quote, canon fodder, unquote. Our source is the presence of Titanism within the church. Our Lord places strict limits on what we are to do. We are very clearly told that, quote, with God, all things are possible, unquote. Matthew 19.26 We are also told that while faith can move mountains, Matthew 21.21, there are definite limits to what we are allowed to pray for, 1 John 5.16. We are forbidden to receive church leaders who teach false doctrine, for to do so makes us partakers of their evil deeds, 2 John 9-11. We are commanded to avoid all who, quote, cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, unquote. Romans 16, 17. But this is not all. Our Lord forbids us to waste our time on those who will not hear and on places where no results are forthcoming. We are to shake the dust off our feet and move on to a place which is more receptive to the gospel. Matthew 10:11-15 This does not mean that God may not convert that person, place, city, or country in his own good time, but it does mean that we ourselves are forbidden to waste time on futile or sterile efforts. We need to remember that while God is omnipotent, we are not God. And his work has no limitation of time. We do. God is able, quote, to raise up children unto Abraham, unquote, out of the stones of the field, Matthew 3, 9. But we cannot regenerate a single man. To go against God's word in these things, as all too many do, is Titanism. It may be, quote, baptized, unquote, Titanism, but it is still sin. There are limits on what man may do and can do, and we had better know it. Some years ago, a very fine missionary worked for many years in a country now communist without results. A brilliant Christian businessman, the missionary's friend, commanded him in Christ's name to come home. To labor in vain, he said, is wrong. Christ commands us to move on. And he cited some of the verses such as Matthew 10, 11-15 that required this. The missionary, a man ready to learn, came home. Not all are as apt to hear. Last year, a woman told me to give her a list of all the public school textbook publishers whose books are humanistic. She declared that she, quote, always, unquote, succeeded in converting anyone she witnessed to. Her plan was to visit each publisher, convert them to Christ, have Christian textbooks, and, quote, solve, unquote, the public school crisis. This is Titanism. It is also kind of a moral insanity, whether in the poet Shelley or in this woman. I have had people tell me of their mission to save homosexuals, and I have heard their glowing tales of how many they have, quote, saved, unquote. When I ask how many ceased being homosexuals, I get another story and am accused of legalism. In other instances where people of incredible evil are involved, I have seen like cases of Titanism. 
People will say of some moral monster, quote, I am going to pray him into heaven, unquote. At the same time, their children may be on the road to hell, people around them in need, and their mother in a rest home. But these people want no simple everyday responsibilities, only titanic causes. They assume that because they have assumed so great a prayer burden, this fact somehow makes them great also. They are ready to indulge in pious gush about how heroic their prayer life is, but they are failures in routine responsibilities. There is no modesty about Titanism. As one woman once told me, quote, The Lord and I have such a sweet fellowship, and together we have seen such miracles take place. Unquote. Her speech was always sugar-coated and never humble. Because of her supposedly, quote, intimate, unquote, walk with the Lord, this Titanus had felt it her duty to rebuke, quote, sweetly, unquote, a whole succession of pastors. One thing which Titanism has never converted to is common sense, whether in the church or out of it. Titanism feels that it has a special calling to defy common sense. In this life, the Christian is still not fully sanctified. He shows the habits and failings of the old Adam, however great his growth in grace. Many years ago, I was told of an elderly priest who remarked to his congregation one Sunday that, in his many years of hearing confession, he had never heard anyone confess to being stingy, whereas experience had taught him that was a failing common to almost all of them. His point was well taken. No doubt, all the stingy people in his parish and others could describe their stinginess as prudence, providential money management, and so on, in any number of flattering ways. Likewise, the extravagant ones who waste their money have, quote, good, unquote, reason for everything. They do. Every man marshals more, quote, good, unquote, reasons for his sins than he does for his virtues. Titanism among humanists calls itself a passion for justice, social reform, peace, and so on. Sin loves to cover itself with noble causes. Basic to Titanism, however, is the desire to play God, to be the determiner of things and to take the government out of God's hands. Genesis 3.5 The Greeks call it hubris, pride. They both feared it and idealized it. When successful, it made one a god. When a failure, as with the Titans, it was still heroic. Christians very early saw it as a deadly sin. Whenever and wherever it occurred, they saw it as an evil and as a deadly corrupting force. With the Romantic movement, Titanism became romantic, heroic, and the indication of superiority. Thus, Lord Byron's Manfred rejected both Christian counsel and patience, declaring, Patience, patience, hence that word was made, for brutes of burden, not for birds of prey. Preach it to mortals of a dust like thine, I am not of thine order. Manfred saw himself as semi-divine and above all moral order, as a bird of prey. 
He despised, quote, the herd, unquote, of common men and saw himself as a lion or the head of wolves. Facing death, Manfred denied punishment in any future life, for that would be a crime to punish crime by crime. Byron, Shelley, and the other humanistic practitioners of Titanism had a knack for being losers, victims, and injured. Their failures proved to them that they were so far above the common herd of humanity that few could appreciate their greatness. Romantic Titanism has since been endemic in Western civilization, most of all among the intellectuals, college students, and liberal politicians. It is a fine recipe for losers because of the very fact of defeat and frustration is seen as, quote, proof, unquote, that one is a titan, a visionary whose greatness and cause go unappreciated. For Byron, Lucifer, and Cain were heroes, and as Cain declares, quote, Cursed be he that invented life, that leads to death, unquote. For life to be good for humanistic titanism, it must be on the titan's terms, not God's. In philosophy, of course, Titanism has held full sway. Nietzsche, with his vision of life beyond good and evil by Superman, was most vocal about it, but it has been no less prevalent in men like Bertrand Russell, Wittgenstein, and others. It has been implicit in philosophy since Descartes, and his starting point, quote, I think, therefore I am, unquote. In the United States, the transcendentalist Unitarian pastor Theodore Parker drew a logical conclusion, quote, I am, therefore God is, unquote. A modestly phrased but strong Titanism was popularized by Ralph Waldo Emerson. All of this had its influence in theological circles also, and evangelicals absorbed elements of Titanism. Instead of exalting God's sovereign grace in salvation, many began to exalt man's sovereign choice. The order of determination in the universe was reversed, and man was given priority in the order of salvation. The effect on prayer was dramatic. Recently, I heard one evangelical pastor describe much current praying as, quote, giving God his instructions for the day, unquote. Such praying is blasphemy. Prayer is access to the throne of grace, the government center of all creation. The ancient Persians understood the meaning of sovereignty, although they wrongly ascribed it to human monarchs. Prayers to the sovereign could have penalties. As Esther said to Mordecai, quote, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such as to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. Unquote. Esther 4.11 As Christians we are called into the king's presence, but our request must be in his name and according to his law word. We are forbidden to make a show of prayer or to use vain repetitions, Matthew 6, 2-7, through 7, 
and we are also forbidden to waste our lives and time in vain or futile work. Matthew 10:14. We are not our own. We have been, quote, bought with a price, unquote. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. Christ's atoning death, and hence we cannot waste our lives and time in a parade of, quote, heroic, unquote, effort that results in little or nothing. Our calling is not to titanism, but to service. June 1986 Original Sin Calcedon Position Paper Number 76 Sin is usually a very interesting subject to most people, provided it is not their sin which is the subject of conversation. Our concern here, however, is everybody's sin. Original Sin The Common Inheritance of All Mankind it is described for us in a single sentence in Genesis 3.5. It is man's desire to be his own God, knowing or determining for himself what is good and evil, what is law and morality, and becoming himself the sovereign or Lord over his life. This desire to be one's own autonomous Lord and governor permeates all of fallen man's being. It infects his thinking, willing, and acting. This is the meaning of total depravity. Total depravity does not mean that fallen man is incapable of doing some things which are outwardly good, but rather that all man's actions are governed by his will to be the autonomous lord of his life and realm. His actions may conform outwardly to the law of God, but his reasons for acting rest in his own, quote, autonomous, unquote, selfhood. The fall of man was his agreement with the tempter that his program, set forth in Genesis 3-5, is the way, the truth, and the life for man, and that the tempter was right in holding that God seeks to limit and control man's own, quote, divinity, unquote, and freedom. It was the fall which introduced fear into the world, Man, having sinned, was now afraid of God and his judgment. Genesis 3.10 Fear is now basic to the human scene. Theodore Reich wrote somewhere that he did not know a single psychiatrist who believed in God, or know of one who was not afraid of him. There is no escaping the fact of fear. Many texts tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of learning, life, and wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7, 14, 27, 15, 33, 19, 22, etc. We are also told, quote, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe, unquote. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of God is clean and healthy, whereas the fear of man is servile. With Christ... The love of God begins to grow in us. 1 John 4.18 declares, quote, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Unquote. Such a perfect love will only be ours in heaven, but as we grow in grace, so too does our love of God increase. This love of God is not and cannot be antinomian, for love is the fulfilling, the putting into force, of God's law, because we are now remade in His image. 
Romans 13, 8-10. Meanwhile, fear is not only a constant element in life, but a major fact of history and politics. The modern state cultivates fear in the people. The Internal Revenue Service finds that the more people fear it, the easier their work is. Civil regimes find that guilty people are subservient to their will, and it therefore uses guilt as an instrument of power. In every modern state, because of the great multiplicity of laws, rules, and regulations, it is easy to keep most people afraid of being subject to prosecution. Totalitarian states create a mindless terror in order to have a mindless fear among the people. If I know a simple set of laws, such as the Ten Commandments, and I know that I am not in physical violation of any, and I earnestly seek to keep them faithfully in my mind, then I have a sense of peace and freedom. I then know the law and my status before it. If, however, laws and regulations are produced by tens of thousands each year, I cannot know them, and I am left with a vague disquiet about them. Fear can disarm people and leave them defenseless. Fear is thus a basic instrument of government in the modern world. If men are kept in a state of fear and uncertainty, they are thereby disarmed of their courage and strength. Paul, in speaking of love as keeping the law, mentions the need also to keep God's law concerning debt. Romans 13, 8-10 Debt, like fear, creates a paralysis of moral strength and a dependency. It limits our freedom. It is not without significance that since World War II, the modern state has encouraged debt and has given tax benefits to those who go into debt. In the United States, interest payments on debts gain tax deductions for the debtor. By encouraging debt, the state enables debt slavery, moral bondage, and a paralysis of freedom to result. Combine debt with fear, and you have a greatly weakened moral fiber in the people. The decay of the family is another concomitant, and it further weakens the freedom and moral power of men. As the family is undermined, it leaves the lonely individual with no intervening and controlling power between itself and the state. Original sin thus divides man from man, from his own family, and it leads to fear, debt, and slavery to the state. The human condition becomes a sorry one. Among the responses of our time to this human crisis are the various gospels of liberation by love. New Testament, or Koine Greek, has three words for love. Eros refers to sexual or erotic love. More than a few of our, quote, love babies, unquote, have seen this as the way of liberation. Sin for them is denying oneself of the liberation of sexuality. Henry Miller was an advocate of such a salvation, and the sexual revolution was a manifestation of it. This hope is now foundering, with its consequences including many mental and emotional wrecks, the proliferation of sexually transmitted diseases, including AIDS, and death as the result of freedom.
another Greek word, is phalos, which refers to human love, brotherly love, the love of man for his fellow men. The problem with this gospel of love has been that fallen man, being governed by original sin, is exploitive in his love. The, quote, love babies, unquote, who are going to save the world with this kind of love are unwilling to face up to the fact of sin, especially their own. There is a particularly obnoxious arrogance and pride about these, quote, love babies, unquote. They are sure that the power of their love can regenerate the world, but they are incapable of coping with the fact of man as a sinner. Their answers are superficial and their love a form of pride. There are, of course, ostensibly, quote, Christian love babies, unquote. As well, people who believe that agape, or love as grace, is being channeled through them. They are antinomian to the core, and for them, love has replaced God's law. They know all the, quote, love text, unquote, in the New Testament except John 15.10. Quote, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Unquote. Quote, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Unquote. John 15.14. And, quote, If you love me, keep my commandments. Unquote. John 14.15. To separate love from law is to turn it into a denial of God's word and into a form of humanism. The, quote, love babies, unquote, are full of themselves and their love, not Jesus Christ, nor the Holy Spirit. Original sin is man's effort to replace God as God with man, to replace God's law with man's word, to replace the mercy, grace, and love of God with the love of man. Thus, Original sin is antinomianism, and Adam and Eve were the first antinomians. They replaced God's law word with their own will. When the tempter said, quote, Yea, has God said, unquote, Genesis 3, 1, Adam and Eve agreed that whatever God had said, man's own word should be equally valid. Thus original sin is man saying, my will be done. This is the governing impulse in fallen man. When our Lord at the Mount of Olives, just prior to his arrest, trial, and crucifixion, said, quote, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Unquote. Matthew twenty-two forty-two. He, as the Adam of the new humanity, 1 Corinthians 15, 45-50, established the pattern for his people. We are the new human race in Christ, in whose hearts the law is now written. Jeremiah thirty one thirty three, And who say in Christ, quote, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, unquote. Hebrews 10, 9. It is we who must say always, quote, not my will, but thine be done, unquote. Antinomianism is at the heart of fallen man. It is original sin. History has been the long attempt of men to make original sin work. Politics in the United States, whether Republican, 
Democrat, or anything else is usually the art of persuading men that a particular platform and version of original sin will solve all our problems and abolish sin itself. Most political campaigning today is like that of the tempter in the Garden of Eden. It offers sin as the way of salvation. This brings us to the heart of the matter. Original sin is man's own plan of salvation. God had created all things and on earth fenced off one area, the Garden of Eden, as a pilot project for man. Here man was to learn how to exercise dominion and to subdue the world, Genesis 1, 26-28. This was an agricultural task calling for tillage, a scientific task because it required, quote, naming, unquote or classifying the animals, a technological task because it required making tools, fencing fruits and vegetables from the animals, and so on. In a variety of ways, this calling of man to acknowledge and dominion required work, very hard work. It was especially hard because Adam and Eve began with nothing. It was a sinless world, but not a perfect or mature one and certainly not easy. The tempter offered an easier way to dominion and wealth than work. God was seeking to repress man's powers and limit man's scope. Thus God's word was not to be trusted. The best word is man's own autonomous word because man's enlightened self-interest will work best to further man's dominion and wealth. Original sin was thus the denial of God's law word in favor of man's law, word, and plan. As men develop their original sin, they develop also their five-year plans, their regional plans, economic plans, educational, cultural, and other plans, because for them, the solution is in man's autonomous word. The world thus sees the deepening shadows of the fall and of the judgment of God on man's autonomy. It cannot escape judgment. As Isaiah fourteen twenty six through 27 tells us, quote, This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Unquote. God's judgment shall fall on all the nations until they know, Isaiah says, that God is the Lord and Sovereign. Man in his original sin has no hope, nor have the nations. Our Lord requires us to pray, not in terms of our plan, but God's. Someone has observed that too many people in their prayers are giving God his instructions for the day. Then they wonder why they are not heard. Our Lord requires us to seek first God's kingdom and his justice. Matthew six thirty three, And to pray thus, quote, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Unquote. Matthew six ten. Only then will the things we need be added to us. Matthew six thirty two through thirty three.
July 1986. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had shown us by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. Tell the 